You received two items when you came in tonight. I want you to go on and place your hands on those because this evening has been designed to allow us together to do one thing, to be able to stare Jesus right in the face. I mean, if you think about the events of Jesus' trial, um, his crucifixion, how many people looked at Jesus in the face? And after looking Jesus in the face, how many different conclusions did those people walk away with? As we look at the scriptures tonight and as we prepare for communion, for participating in the Lord's Supper together with the church from all the generations, both behind us, we have a choice to make. As we go through the Gospel of Luke tonight and we look at that moment where Jesus was betrayed, we get to look him in the face just like the disciples. As we walk through the Gospel of Luke tonight, we get to look him in the face like Pontius Pilate. And we have a conclusion to make. What will we do with Jesus? Who is this Jesus? This year, perhaps, if you've watched TV, you've seen um, maybe documentaries. Who was Jesus? Or even better, when did Jesus become God? I mean, there's all kinds of opinions out there. And you know what it is? People looking at Jesus, and then they walk away with a conclusion. They walk away with a determination about who he is and what they're going to do with him. You hold two elements tonight. The first, um, we will participate together um, in a moment in communion with the Lord's Supper. And we will use that together to remember what Jesus did for us. The second item that you hold um, is a personal item. It is something that, as a part of this Easter season, was designed to help all of us move out of the past and begin to say, Jesus, God, how can I grow in my faith? What is it that I'm willing to look at in my life and lay that down before you? And what is it I'm willing to trust you with? And there's a simple statement, God, I commit to bloom in my faith by, and then there's a space for you to write. Throughout the course of the evening, here's what I'm asking, and I want you to do the same, to ask God this. God, speak to my heart. You would ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And then to reveal to you throughout the evening, God, this is a legitimate, significant area that I am going to commit to trust you to bloom in my faith the rest of this year. And I want you to write that down. There'll be a moment at the conclusion of the service for us to do that together after we've taken of communion together. When I look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, I want to invite you to turn there. And as I read this, one of the fascinating things about the Gospel of Luke's recording of all of the events that we know that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus, there is a person there that you are very familiar with that we've been talking about how he was helping others in the body of Christ. We've been talking about him for the last two months. For every major event that you would read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22 onward, this gentleman is there. You know him by the name of Simon Peter. Yeah, the Apostle Simon Peter. And next week as we finish chapter 2, the second letter that we write... Those things that were written, I think, bring a great emphasis tonight to what we will read about in Luke chapter 22. Here's the thing. When you're keenly aware of your sins, and if you don't believe in sin, your failures, 
If you don't believe in failures, your disappointments are the moments where things didn't work out according to your plan. If you stare those moments in the face and you look at them very intently and closely, they, they will cause you and I to do one of two things. We will either try harder, work harder to cover them up, ignore them, with pride try to prove that they don't exist, or those moments will humble us. They will create within us a sense of brokenness where we realize, God, this is beyond me. And I need you to intervene, to correct it, to fix, to forgive my sin, to help the areas where I've experienced disappointment, areas where I haven't measured up or perhaps have failed. God, I need you. And Simon Peter, when you look at the moments that we will read together in Luke chapter 22, those are precursors to 1 Peter and 2 Peter, the things that we've read together over the last couple of months. I want to start this evening by reading Luke chapter 22, and we will jump to verse 39, so you can go on and get your Bibles and turn there. Um, there's a lot of scripture here this evening, but I think it sets up a very meaningful way for us to approach Jesus and to look intently at him and what he's done for us. Verse 39, Luke begins in recording, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. Where did he come from? He came out of the moment where he had participated in communion in the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with his disciples. So he had just taken of a moment with them in remembrance of what we are about to do as well. He walks out of there. He's with his disciples. The disciples followed him. And verse 40 says, when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray, pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he began to pray. This is what he said. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came. And the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs 
as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And about an hour had passed. Another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he, Jesus, said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. In this initial reading, Luke chapter 22, you see people come face to face with Jesus. And you see that after this moment where he spent a very special, significant moment reminding them of what he was going to do for them, they go out. And as they go out, he's told them what's going to happen. But they fall asleep. Um, in a moment of passion when he comes to be arrested, none other than Simon Peter pulls out his sword and in a moment of rage and, and perhaps we would say good intentions, he resorts to human violence and justice to solve something that God had another plan for. And so Jesus says, that'll never work. Stop that. And he even heals the man who Simon Peter struck. Um, Simon Peter's there at the fire after seeing all of this, hearing all of this, knowing all of this, spending his life learning, watching Jesus, looking Jesus face to face. And yet in that moment of his life, do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. Do you know him? Three times no. And then Jesus looks at him face to face. 
And Simon Peter goes out and he's broken. He realizes his failure, his sin, his moment of disappointment, his moment of not hitting the mark. And he weeps bitterly. You see Jesus tortured and, and beaten and made fun of and blasphemed against. You see that those who would strike him would say, tell us who did it if you're such a great prophet. You see Jesus with the council of the elders, the scribes, the leaders of the day. Are you the son of God? And he says, if I tell you, you won't listen, you won't believe, you'll still walk away with your own conclusion. And if I ask you a question, you're not going to answer it. You're not going to receive the truth. And they couldn't even handle that. Tell us, are you the son of God? Yes, I am. And at that point, that's when they determined to crucify him. When I look at this passage, there are some things that I think will help us tonight prepare our hearts to participate in communion. And I wrote down a statement as I prepared. Perhaps you want to write this down tonight as you think about Jesus and who he is. Um, Jesus, are you the son of God? And he would say, yes, I am. It's just like you say, yes, I am. But Jesus, we need to know as we participate in communion personally who he is. Jesus was God's perfect son. He was the only sacrifice given by God and acceptable to God. Jesus offered his life in exchange for ours. And only Jesus can give to us the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. Perhaps you want to write that down, and I think it's worth reading again as we meditate on that. Jesus was God's perfect son. He is the only sacrifice given by God and acceptable to God. Jesus offered his life in exchange for ours, and only Jesus can give to us the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. In this passage, we see that Jesus, as everyone encountered him, he revealed to them who he was, the Son of God. What did he do for us? The first thing is coming immediately out of communion, the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Immediately out, he goes out to pray to the Mount of Olives. He asked them to pray. They're weak of the flesh, of emotion. Um, he asked them not to fall into temptation. They couldn't even do that. Um, but yet he prays. And what does Jesus pray? What do we have recorded in Scripture? He says, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. But not what I want, what you want. And that's the prayer that we have recorded. Now, surely he prayed more, but that moment is recorded for us to realize that Jesus did something for us. He took the cup. He took the cup of God's wrath and punishment against sin so that those who would believe in him as God's Savior, perfect Savior, perfect sacrifice, those who would believe in him would not have to drink of that cup. There is a cup that Jesus took at the Passover so that the punishment for sin, for discouragement, 
brokenness, disappointment, all things where we would not measure up in our relationship with God when we have taken the cup of the sacrifice of Jesus into our lives, the cup of God's punishment passes over. He took the cup. And that's a powerful reminder of who he is and what he did. The second thing I see about Jesus as we prepare to take communion together is that Jesus, he was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. Now, we have betrayal where we may feel like friends have betrayed us or someone that we trusted in has betrayed us. We have a certain sense of betrayal. But Jesus was betrayed on every angle in every relationship. Um, first, Judas comes to him and Judas betrays him with a kiss. A kiss that was to be a greeting. Uh, a kiss that was to be something that was appropriate and a welcome. Something in that culture that signified a deep bond between two people. And Jesus, Judas uses that to betray Christ. And Jesus calls him on it. Are you going to betray me with a greeting? After all that you've seen and done, is this what you're going to do? To begin to become a pawn of Satan and used by people for 30 pieces of silver? That's how you're going to betray me? Jesus calls him on it, and that's what he does. He's betrayed by Judas. He's betrayed by Simon Peter. Simon Peter, um, he had told Simon, Simon, you, you will deny me three times. Not me, Lord. Not me. I love you too much. I go to church too much. I read too much of the Bible. I pray really hard. You'll deny me three times. Not me, Lord. And he did. Perhaps the number one disciple, apostle, denies Christ three times. And then he looks at him face to face. Uh, he's betrayed by all of the disciples who fled in that moment. Uh, if we continue to read in chapter 23, you'll see that he's betrayed by those in power. He's betrayed by the religious leaders. The trial of Jesus was illegal. Um, it was a very clear picture of an abuse of power by those who had it against those who did not. It was illegal. It wasn't supposed to happen. It happened at hours that things should not have happened. Even the law written in those days said that there would, was to be no trial in the evening. But they tried him and he was guilty before they had even pronounced a verdict. He was betrayed by Pilate. As a matter of fact, Simon Peter um, not only betrays him and runs from him and the disciples run from him. Pilate, the most powerful person in the nation at that time, um, didn't have the spine to stand up for what was right. If you read through Luke 23, you will see that even Pilate said, this man is innocent. I find no fault in him. They send him to Herod, the governor of the land. The governor says, I see no fault in him. All of these people ended up betraying Jesus. And yet, what did he do? He took the cup, even though he was betrayed. When I think about that, I think about how sin in our lives, moments where we miss the mark, moments where we fail, moments where we don't meet up to perhaps our own expectations, much less what we believe God might desire of us. It's a very humbling moment that allows us to realize that perhaps even we at times have betrayed Jesus. Jesus. 
And when I stare Jesus in the face, I have to realize what that is. And that's a very humbling moment, perhaps for each and every one of us, if we personally do our business with Jesus, the Son of God, and we know there are moments where, yes, we've betrayed him. Those moments of brokenness are the greatest moments for us to realize and treasure the sacrifice. And that's the third thing that I see in this passage. As I continue to read, and for time's sake, I'll not go through the rest of 23, but I'll let you do that between now and Sunday. You will see that Jesus makes a very powerful statement. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, if you and I were writing the story of salvation, we would not write that. I would not write that. If you've ever been wronged or someone's betrayed you, you would not drink the cup of wrath on their behalf. You would pour the cup of wrath out on them. I would. Um, I would have a moment where, like Simon Peter, justice should be brought by a sword, right? That is until the sword turns on you. Until the wrath turns on you. Betrayal is real. And Simon Peter understood it. All of these other people understood it. And yet in the midst of all of that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Now, not everyone received that forgiveness. But for those whose brokenness, whose sin, whose disappointment, whose failure, they stared face to face when they understood who Jesus was. They knew the price paid for their forgiveness was precious and forgiveness was powerful and there was nothing greater than that. Jesus forgave. And as the scriptures say, and we continue, at the end of chapter 23, we see what Jesus did. 23, 32. The Bible says this. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, that's the soldiers, cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Now there was also this inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun being obscured, 
and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and he laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. And the women who had come with him out of Galilee, they followed and they saw the tomb, how his body was laid. In this last part where we will pause tonight before we approach Sunday and what it means for us. This last part shows the price that was paid for one thing. And that's the final thing that I think is important for us to remember tonight. You see, Jesus took the cup. Jesus, he took the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. Jesus was betrayed by even those who loved him, who were closest to him. He forgave those who did not know what they were doing. And all of this for the reminder for you and I tonight that Jesus saves. He saves. He saved those who were against him, who yet turned to him. He does that tonight for you and I in moments of our betrayal, brokenness, disappointment, rebellion. Jesus is the one that we cling to, that we hold on to. He is the one who we remember and whose sacrifice matters more than anything else for our salvation. Tonight you have a cup and the reality of this evening is it's not a Baptist ritual, it's not a church ritual. It's a moment between a follower of Jesus and their savior, the son of God. The perfect sacrifice, God's only perfect sacrifice that was acceptable who offered his life in exchange for ours Jesus who gives us forgiveness for our sins and the salvation of our souls Luke chapter 22 the beginning verse 7 and the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed Jesus sent Peter he sent Simon Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? Jesus said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. 
and he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. Before we take this moment to participate in a moment to remember the sacrifice of who Jesus was and what he did, let's pray and prepare our hearts just as that evening was prepared for them. Father, right now, as we search our hearts and our souls, Jesus, as we stare into your face, into the eyes of love, forgiveness, and sacrifice that you have for us, we want to do business right now to cleanse our hearts. God, forgive us of our sins, of our failures, of those disappointments where we haven't measured up. God, teach us as we look to you to understand you are the one who in spite of betrayal took the cup, offered forgiveness and salvation to us. Right now, as you're praying, perhaps you need to do business with Jesus. You've never personally Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Do that now. You can do that by praying, Jesus, I confess my sin, my brokenness to you. Forgive me. Tonight, as I look into your face, I see a Savior. And I ask you to save me. If that's the cry of your heart tonight, then as we participate together in the Lord's Supper in a moment, participate freely and thankfully for what Jesus has done. In this moment, Father, we pray as a church that our hearts are ready to commune with you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. The first piece of the cup as you pull back the top, you will see the bread. And Jesus told them that he had longed to participate in this moment with them. And that this was a moment where his body would be broken for them. So in like mind with the disciples and in remembrance of what he's done tonight, we take and eat. Jesus, thank you that your body was broken for us. And thank you that even in the midst of our sin, you forgave. You did what you had to do to save our souls. We thank you for this in your holy name. 
And likewise, there was a cup. And as you open the cup, it exposes what Jesus shared with his followers that night. Something to remind them that the sacrifice wasn't just the body, it was the blood. It was the shed blood of Christ that provided the forgiveness of sins and a new covenant. So just like that evening with the disciples at that table, at that place prepared, hopefully your heart is prepared as well as you look into the face of Jesus and you take and you remember his sacrifice of his blood just for you. Take and drink. you've done by shedding your blood for us in Jesus name Amen
So it's one thing to be able to see Jesus, to know Jesus, to experience him. But then it's another thing to be able in those moments to say, okay, so Jesus, this is who you are, the son of God, and this is what you've done for me. Now, how do I bloom? Tonight, I started by saying, I wanted you to pray, to ask God about a very specific place in your life. And perhaps somewhere in the course of tonight already, you can identify an area where there's maybe sin, brokenness, disappointment, not being able to measure up. Or maybe it's an area of life where you just know that God has been speaking to you saying, child, this is your next step. I want us to do that together tonight. And very specifically over the next couple of moments, we're going to do this as a church family. I want you to begin to write down whatever that prayer of yours may be. And then as you have written that down, then I want you to be able to take an action step. I want you to be able to stand from where you are, be able to bring that forward and be able to stick that on the bloom wall here in front of you. It's a moment where you can not only participate in communion, but where you legitimately, we legitimately are able to say, okay, Jesus, not just another service, not just another moment. Jesus, you've spoken to my heart and this is what I want to bring to you. And then you stick it on the wall. So I wanna give you a moment to pray a moment to think about it. We're going to have another moment of worship, which will allow us to begin to write that down. And then immediately when you're done, go ahead and bring that forward and place it on the wall. And that will be your Easter commitment this evening, walking forward to say, God, Jesus, I wanna grow, I wanna bloom in my faith, and I wanna trust you and walk with you this way. Let's pray together. Jesus, we've remembered and we've prepared our hearts to participate with Christians throughout the generations in the significance of this moment, this evening. Jesus, we want you to speak to our hearts about that step of faith that we can take with you. That next moment where we walk with you in a deeper, more real, genuine way. Jesus, speak to our hearts right now in your name.
tonight is not only a reminder of what Jesus has done for us and it sets in course perhaps a deep moment of personal relationship and reflection for you with Christ this weekend as you prepare for Sunday and what Sunday means as a part of this weekend but I hope that genuinely because you were a part of a special service tonight it's also done something for you to say Jesus now I want to walk forward in my relationship I want to see you I want to see myself, I want to be changed, and I want to move forward with you. I'm so grateful that you came. This is half of the story, and on Sunday, we get the rest. But I pray that tonight has truly moved you, that the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and that you will walk from this place changed, closer, and moving forward with Him. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your children. I thank you for your people. And I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name with deep hearts of gratitude 
that we all say together. Amen. God bless you and happy Good Friday to you.